After you place your marker there, take your Bibles out and turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, that will be our first reading this morning. And if you want, go ahead and place a marker there. And if you have another piece of paper or maybe another marker, place a marker at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be flipping back and forth between these two passages quite a bit this morning. Last week, we started a series of lessons looking at the offices of elders and deacons. This morning, we're going to be continuing that series. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on the qualifications of elders. Hopefully from last week's lesson, we saw that the office of elders, they play a very important role in the Lord's church. Elders are something that congregations need. You look here in Titus chapter 1, notice in verse 5, Paul writes and says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. What we see from this passage is that congregations that do not have elders, they're lacking something. They're lacking something that God wants every congregation to have. Now, let me make something very clear. I'm not suggesting this morning that congregations that don't have elders, such as this one, I'm not saying that we're sinning or that we're doing something wrong. But God's plan is that every congregation should have elders. Men who are appointed to lead, men who are shepherds, they're overseers. They shepherd the flock among them. That's God's plan for congregations. But one of the things that we said last week is going to be the focus of our lesson this morning. Congregations must not appoint elders just for the sake of having elders. Yes, elders are important. Yes, we should be working towards having elders, but we should not hurry and appoint somebody that maybe meets the qualifications or someone that meets most of the qualifications. The office of elder is not something that one grows into. We talked about that last week. Yes, we want elders here. Yes, we recognize the need for elders, but we must be careful that we don't appoint elders just for the sake of having elders. God's word sets forth very clear definitions and very clear, clear qualifications of a man who wants to be an elder, they must meet these qualifications. Here in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and also in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, here we see a list of the qualifications of being an elder. Since we're already here in Titus chapter 1, let's keep reading in verse 6. Paul says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, very similar to what Paul writes to Titus. But he says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, 
temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Once again, very clear and concise qualifications. And we've already made this point, but let's make sure we make it again. A man must meet every single qualification if he is going to be an elder. This isn't something where we look at this and say, well, a man meets, if there's 15 points, well, he meets 13 or 14 or 14 and a half. You get the point. He either meets them or he doesn't. Either a man is qualified to serve as an elder or he's not. This is not something that we can bend. This is not something that we can change. No, we look at the qualifications and we see if a man meets them. And if he does, then we ask him if he wants to be an elder. If he doesn't, we don't make exceptions. Once again, a congregation must not appoint elders just for the sake of having elders. They must be qualified. We must ensure that we do not compromise God's word. We do not change God's word. We do not bend it just to have elders. No, we make sure that we're truly following God's word. For the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at some of the qualifications. And instead of going verse by verse and looking at every single one in a sequential way, we're going to try to group them together. And I will say this as well. I tried to fit them all into one sermon. I tried my hardest, but the, the more I wrote and the, the longer the, the slides became, it's like, well, probably should break this into two. So if we're going through this and you start thinking, man, he's got a lot more to cover, it's probably going to be in the second part, Lord willing, uh, the second sermon in November. we got a prayer service next week and then singing, so it'll be the second service in November. So don't, don't worry about time. We're not going to take the time to, this morning to look at all of them. But as we think about a man serving in the office of elder, the very first thing that we look at, we read this verse already, but look at verse 1 again. I would suggest to you this morning that the very first qualification of being an elder is a man must want to be an elder. Did you see there in verse 1 where it says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. First and foremost, a man must want to be an elder. That word desires is kind of an interesting Greek word. Uh, once again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know just enough. I know how to look them up. I know how to use a lexicon. But when you look up that word desires, the Greek word means to stretch one's abilities. So the idea there is this is a man who wants to apply himself. He wants to stretch his own abilities in order to become an elder. Now, I'll be honest with you, brethren. There are some men who, who have no desire to serve as an elder. And I would suggest that we can be encouraging we can try to get them to understand that, yes, they are qualified. Yes, we believe that they would be a good elder. But let us never guilt. Let us never pressure. First and foremost, a man must want to be an elder. 
Look over in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, notice in verse 2 what Peter says about elders. He says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. There has to be that desire. He says, not for dishonest game, but he says, eagerly. If we want men to serve as elders, we want men who want to be elders. Brethren, I've heard people talk to men who they believe were qualified and, and just some of the things that people say to them. Well, you know, if you would just get over yourself, we could have elders if you would serve. You know, you should serve because there's no reason for you not to. Now, like I said, I'm not suggesting that we can't encourage men to serve. I think that if we have qualified men, we can talk to them, we can encourage, we can try to show that they are qualified, but let us never guilt. Let us never feel like somebody is going to be forced to be an elder, because I would question the ability of that person to really truly be an elder. If you don't want to do something, are you really truly going to give your best at it? And I think we know the answer is no. We want men who want to be an elder. They want to serve. They want to lead. They want to shepherd the flock. So I suggest to you this morning that the first qualification of being an elder is you've got to want to be an elder. This is not something that we guilt you into doing. This is not something that we, we try to pressure a man into serving. No, it is something that we, we encourage. And we are overjoyed when we have men who are qualified. But they've got to want to serve. Now, I would also follow this up with whenever I talk to somebody and they say, well, I just don't think I'm qualified, I would ask them, why not? Is it something that they feel like they can work on? Is it something that they maybe in a year's time or two years' time we come back and say, well, have you thought about it some more? See, there's a difference in encouraging and guilting. And I would suggest to anybody here that, that wants to be an elder or thinks that they could be an elder and just don't feel qualified, what are you doing about it? Are you trying to grow? Are you trying to, remember the word, stretch your abilities? Is this something that you, we can aspire to be? So I would encourage anybody to consider this. Even if somebody feels like they don't want to be an elder, ask yourself, well, why not? Why don't you want to be an elder? But then again, the same, <laughs> the same hand, it's not sinful for a man to not want to be an elder. It's not necessarily wrong for a man not to want that position because as we saw last week, they have a, a very important responsibility. It's a very hard work. So that being said, a man must desire, he must want to be an elder. Well, the first grouping of qualifications that we're going to look at, <coughs> a man who is going to serve as an elder must have practical life experience that comes with age. Dropping down a little bit in 1 Timothy chapter 3, notice in verse 6. Paul says that a man who's going to be an elder, he must not be a novice. Your version may literally say a new convert. The idea here is that a man cannot be a new Christian. We do not expect a, a person who has just been buried in the waters of baptism, a person who has just put on Christ to be able to lead, to be able to shepherd the flock. 
No, a person must have life experience. They must have practical experience that comes with age. The idea of being an elder in and of itself makes us think of one who has lived longer. It is someone who has those experiences. And following along with that, let's think about what some of the experiences that God expects an elder to have. Here in chapter 3 again, let's read verse 2 again. It says, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Look over in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6, very similar. Paul tells Titus, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. So the first qualification that we see here, a man must be married. A man must be married to one wife. What we see in the, the, the wisdom behind this is that marriage gives men practical lessons about how to lead, how to love. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. You'll remember in this passage, Paul is talking about the roles in a marriage and in a house. He talks to husbands, he talks to wives, and he talks to children. In verse 23, he says, The husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so that the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Marriage provides practical applications of having authority over people, having authority over a house, being the head of the house. It gives practical application of how a man can exercise authority, how he can exercise love. Those are practical applications. Now, brethren, I know you know this, but I think it needs to be said in our day and age. Understand that women are excluded from being elders. Now, there are, there are qualifications for elders' wives and deacons' wives, and we'll cover those in one of our sermons, Lord willing, coming up. But I think this needs to be understood, and we need to make sure this is clear. Women are excluded from being elders. We understand that elders have authority. They have responsibility to lead and to shepherd. And we go back to 1 Timothy in chapter 2. Notice Paul's exhortation to women. In chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Well, when we put all this together, that an elder is to have authority, an elder is to lead, just as a husband leads his house, leads his wife, well, then we need to understand that a woman cannot be an elder. It is exclusive when we say things like in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, where Paul says a woman should not have authority over a man. So we need to understand and we need to make sure that we make this very clear. A woman cannot be an elder. A lot of denominations are straying away from this teaching. A lot of denominations are appointing elders ladies and deaconesses and they're saying oh look how progressive we are and we're doing this we're inclusive well understand remember when we said that we do not compromise god's word god's word says that eldership is for men 
We must make sure that we stay within God's word. So an elder, one who wants to serve as an elder, they must be married and they must be the husband of one wife. What does that exclude? Well, that excludes polygamy. Remember in the Old Testament, God did allow polygamy, having more than one wife? Well, God does not allow that now. God said in the beginning, it was one man and one woman for life. So an elder cannot be a polygamist. He cannot have multiple wives. Well, what about an elder whose wife passes away? Does that disqualify him? Well, when we look at this passage, all of these qualifications are things that a man must have. When we read passages like Romans chapter 7 where it talks about when a spouse dies, the covenant is no longer valid because of death. (coughs) I believe that the Bible teaches that no, a man whose wife has passed away, he is no longer qualified because he does not have a wife anymore. That covenant is broken. What about a man who remarries? His wife has passed away, or because of infidelity, he is divorced. That covenant has been broken. Would he not have two wives? No. I believe the same principle in Romans chapter 7 teaches us that if if that spouse passes away and he remarries, he is still the husband of one wife. Because the covenant with the first wife has been null. It's voided. So no, I fully believe that a man who remarries, as long as it's within Scripture... That yes, he can serve as an elder. These are questions that always get brought up. But once again, if we just look at God's word and we just look at it from the standpoint, is a man qualified or not? Then we can know the answer to these questions. So he must be married, the husband of one, one wife. What are some other practical experiences that this man must have? Well, if we continue on in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's read verses 4 and 5 again. He says, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Also over in Titus chapter 1, in verse 6, it says, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. So here we see another one. He must be married, the husband of one wife, and he must have children. Well, once again, the raising of children gives a man practical applications of lessons that he's learned in the Bible. When we go back to Ephesians, and this time in chapter 6, we understand that children are to be obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. But remember the admonition that Paul gives to fathers. He says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Raising children proves that a man can do this, that they can raise children, that they can nurture and admonish and bring up in God. That's what having children does. They rule their house well. So once again, practical applications of this. The children must be faithful and obedient Christians. Look there in Titus 1 again. It says, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. That is the expectation that that the man will raise faithful and godly children. Because in doing so, a man proves that he has the ability 
to lead. He rules his house well, and so that will be a reflection, not a guarantee, but a reflection of how he can run and help lead a church. So we need to make sure that we look at this passage. Now, what's the one question that everybody always loves to to ask when we talk about elders? Well, what about a man with only one child? Is a man and wife, if they only have one child, are they qualified? Is he qualified to be an elder? Well, I would say, once again, let's look at God's word. What does it say? A man who has children. The Greek word there is plural. The Greek word in both Titus and 1 Timothy 3, it says more than one. So I believe that the scriptures teach us that if a man only has one child, then no, he is not qualified to be an elder. And once again, just think about this from a, from a practical standpoint. Nothing against a, a set of parents that only has one child. I'm not saying anything against that. But when you start having two, three, four children, it becomes a little bit more difficult. One child alone is difficult enough, don't get me wrong. But it amazes me, even with just my three, how different each of them are. You can't parent two children the same way that you would parent one. When you get outnumbered, you have to change your game plan even more. You get the idea there, right? Everybody has different personalities. Everybody has to be trained different ways. The way you train up one child may not work with another, and it probably won't work with if you have more. We get the point here, don't you? We as a congregation, are we all the same? Do we all respond to the same discipline? Do we all respond to the same encouragement the same way? Well, of course not. A man with multiple children, what they demonstrate is the ability to lead multiple personalities, multiple different people to the Lord. And that is a lesson that that we see if a man rules his house well, then that's going to be a reflection of how he can lead and how he can shepherd the flock. I was reading a commentary, and I really even thought about this. It's like, well, what if, they're, what if they're, they couldn't have children and they adopt multiple children? Does that mean that they're qualified? I've never even thought about that. Because when we think about adoption, I'll tell you right now, I am my parents' child. It doesn't matter if, if I was born to them or not. I am their child. So absolutely, if a man adopts children, he is qualified if they are faithful and if they're obedient. What happens if a child falls away? What happens if if a grown child falls away, they're no longer a faithful Christian? Is the man still qualified to be an elder? Well, I would go to Titus 1 and I would read this verse again. Where it says, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Paul does not put a qualifier there and say, as long as the majority of children are faithful. Paul does not put a qualifier there and says, well, as long as 75% of your children, if you have four children, as long as three are faithful, even if one falls away, you're still qualified. Brethren, what I read is, is that children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. They're faithful. They're obedient. So I believe that what the Bible teaches us, that if a man has children that falls away, I believe that he is no longer qualified to be an elder. 
But they're a grown child. They're, they're, you know, they're out of his house. He ruled his house well when, he was, when they were under him. Okay. But once again, this is not a, a person did rule his house well. It's not that his children were faithful. No, it's in the present tense. So I believe that if a man has children and if one falls away, then I would argue that no, he is not qualified to be an elder anymore based upon what I read in the scripture. I don't say this enough and, and I'll just take a pause right here. If you disagree with that, if you think that I'm missing the mark here and that I'm misapplying the scripture, let me know. I'll be happy to sit down and study with you. This is something that me and my father, we disagree upon. I fully believe that a man must have multiple children. My father believes that as long as he has a child, that he's qualified. We disagree on that. I believe that if a man has a child that falls away, that he's no longer qualified to be, a, be an elder. My father disagrees with that. So we can disagree. Let's study together. If you, disagree, if you don't think that I'm, I'm applying the scripture right, let's talk about it. But I believe when I read the scripture there, that if a child falls away, they are no longer faithful. They are no longer faithful. And therefore, a man is no longer qualified to be an elder. So we see that a man has to have these, these life lessons. They have this practical experience that they can apply to be an elder. Now, one thing that I want to pause right here and make mention of, too. Have you ever noticed that what the Bible doesn't say is a qualification? Have you ever noticed that there's nothing in here about, well, they need to have been a manager or a supervisor in their job at some point. Oh, they need to be a CEO or something like that in order to be a good elder. Now, let me suggest to you that I'm not saying that if you're, if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, if you have people under you, that you won't use those life lessons to help you deal with people and to lead. But it's not necessary. It's not something. Sometimes I'm afraid that people look at the church too much as a business, and we want men with those business qualities Oh, they're so good at speaking. They're so good at leading. Oh, they're so good at having authority. Like I said, they can use those life lessons, but don't let that be a disqualifier. There's nothing in the Bible that says they had to be a leader of a team of at least 20 before they can be an elder. No, don't, don't add qualifications that the Lord has not put on. So they must have practical life experience. Let me give you another kind of category that we could look at. Elders must have a good example for people to follow. Once again, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and let's look at verse 3 this time. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 5 and notice what, Paul, uh, what Peter says in verse 3. Talking about shepherds and elders once again, he says, Not being lords over those who are entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. An elder does not lead with a whip. An elder does not lead by force. No, an elder leads by example. Well, let's look at the kind of example that an elder should be. Going back to 1 Timothy, let's look at verse 2 again. Paul says a bishop must be blameless. He tells Titus the first thing in Titus 1 and verse 6, an elder must be blameless, above reproach. Now let's make something very clear here. Blameless does not mean sinless. 
I know we know this, but sometimes I'm afraid that we build up what an elder is supposed to be and we make it almost where nobody could ever reach that. No, Paul says they should be blameless, not sinless. No one is sinless, right? Romans 3, 23, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. But rather what we see with the idea of being blameless is they have a good reputation. Look over in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Paul once again is saying that we should honor elders. Be counted worthy of double honor those who rule well. And look at verse 19. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. See, the idea here is that you, an elder is not above taking criticism. An elder is not above sinning. But an elder should have that kind of reputation that if someone says, hey, I saw an elder do this. Well, that sure doesn't sound like something he would do. Well, I heard an elder say this. Well, that sure doesn't sound like something that they would say. Do you get the point here? This is a man who has a good reputation. He has a good example for those to follow. Someone who is blameless. When he does fault and he does something wrong, people should pause and say, well, we need to find out what really happened. We need to understand. That's why Paul says you don't take an accusation against an elder except if you have two or three witnesses. They are to be above reproach, blameless. Not perfect, but striving to be blameless. Well, back in chapter 3 and verse 2, he says they need to be sober, they need to be temperate and sober-minded. Right along with this in verse 3, Paul says, not given to wine. Your version may say addicted to wine. And in Titus 1 and verse 7, the same thing, drinks no wine. Well, why not? Because that impairs judgment. That impairs clear thinking. No, an elder needs to be sober-minded. They need to be temperate. Well, why? Because they're expected to defend the faith. They have their mental capacity and their faculty so that when something is taught or something doesn't sound right, then they know and they can question and they can, they can correct those who contradict God's word. Temperate and sober-minded. What do we see there in verse 8 of Titus 1? He says they need to have self-control. Says they're hospitable, a lover what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. That word there is an interesting word. It literally means master of self. That is what an elder is. They have mastered themselves. They have put in subjection, as Paul would say. That is what an elder does. Self-control, that is what an elder should be. You know, when you read passages like Galatians 5, where Paul talks about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5 and verse 20, one of the works of the flesh is outburst of wrath. I would suggest to you this morning, that is the lack of self-control, is it not? Outburst of wrath. They just say whatever's on their mind, whatever there is, it just spews out. That is not self-control. Paul talks about self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember what the fruit of the Spirits are? Fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. What about in 2 Peter chapter 1? We often call this the Christian graces, right? Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. 
This is something that every Christian should have. We should all exercise self-control, master of self. But remember the, the whole definition of an elder? It's one who stretches their ability. You know, if we're all to have self-control, the elder cranks it up to 11. <laughs> They're the ones who should have all the self-control. That is what an elder does. That's the example that we follow. And there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, once again, it's one who behaves properly. Look there in verse 2 again, it says they have a good behavior. This is a person who acts like a Christian. That idea there of behaving properly, it's an interesting Greek word because it's the exact same one that, that's used when talking about women dressing modestly. In chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. That word modest could also be translated proper. It's proper attire. That's the idea of good behavior, is it not? It's proper behavior. This is a man who knows how to conduct himself. He behaves. He has good behavior. An elder is one that we look at and we say we want to be like him. And the reason we say we want to be like him is because he is like Christ. He has good, proper behavior. Just a few more this morning and we'll, we'll save the rest for the second lesson. Not to be greedy for money. Not to be covetous. In verse 3 of chapter 3 in 1 Timothy, Paul has already said not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not covetous. The same thing is said in Titus 1 and verse 7. This is a man who is not concerned with just money, with just stuff. As we already read in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, an elder does not serve by compulsion, and he does not want dishonest gain. This is not a person who his only motivation is money. That's not who we want serving as an elder. Because once again, you think about it. If an elder, a person in a position of authority, a person in a position to lead, if they're only concerned with money, then what can they do? Well, they, could they can steal, they can take, they can take bribes, they can extort. Is that the kind of person you want to be an elder? No, it's a person who is not covetous. Once again, everybody, every Christian should strive to be like this, should we not? In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, <clears throat> in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Your version may say without love of money, the pursuit of money. You know what Paul writes at just a few chapters over in chapter 6 and verse 10 of 1 Timothy where he talks about the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Brethren, the love of money is what led Judas to betray Christ. Do we understand that a love of money and an elder can lead them to betray the Lord's church? Is that the kind of person we want serving as an elder? No. An elder must set a good example. An elder must have an example of not loving 
money. That's a good stopping point for this morning. This is part one, and Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we'll look at part two, and we'll look at the rest of the qualifications of an elder. But I hope this morning we've seen that that elders, the qualifications are very stringent. There's no give in the qualifications. Either a man meets them or he doesn't. And so I'll ask the same question I ended last week's sermon on. Are we working towards having men who are qualified to be an elder? As a congregation, are we looking for men who meet those qualifications? And are we encouraging men to serve as elders? Being an elder is an immense responsibility. I can't imagine what it would be like to be an elder, to, to, to you know, have to know that I had that, that commitment, that burden. When I say burden, I hope you know what I mean. That responsibility laid on me. But I'm going to tell you this, that every elder I've ever talked to, they always talk about, yes, it is a hard work. But it is a rewarding work. It's a work that it rewards itself. It's an extremely rewarding role in the Lord's church. I want us to ask ourselves one more question and the lesson will be yours. This one's kind of different from the things that we've been studying about the qualifications of elders. I want you to look at yourself and ask yourself a question. Are we the kind of the congregation that an elder would want to lead? You know, I think when we look at the qualifications of elders, we focus a lot, and we should, don't misunderstand this, we focus on the man and does he meet the qualifications. But I think sometimes when we, when we study elders and deacons, we need to take a step back and we need to ask ourselves, are we the kind of congregation that an elder would want to serve in? Because I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I've seen over the years is that oftentimes the congregation doesn't have elders because the men look around and say, I don't know if I could lead these people. You know, I just don't know if I could lead these people. They're, you know, there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of dissent. There's a lot of just bickering back and forth. Brethren, if we want to have elders, and I believe that we do, then I can, just, can I suggest to you that we can be working on that ourselves in being the kind of congregation that elders would want to lead. And I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. This lesson obviously has not been geared to how to become a Christian. We haven't talked about the steps of salvation. We haven't talked about the need for baptism. But I hope you this morning if you're here and you've not been buried in the waters of baptism. See, here is water. What hinders you? This morning has not been about repentance of sins. It's not been about making your life right with God. But I hope that we see that elders... And in these qualifications, there are things that, if there, if there are things that are separating us from God, we need to make it right. We need to be blameless. We need to be above reproach. We need to have these things in our life. And if there's sin, we need to repent of them. This morning, we offer an invitation. And this morning, if there's anyone subject to it, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing the song?